Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com for another episode of the Prospect Podcast, a regular scheduled Prospect Podcast after an emergency episode on Friday. Back again is Matthew Collar of the Purple Insider Podcast and PurpleInsider.com. And today we are going to talk all about and put a bow on everything 2021 Senior Bowl. We're going to be very general, conversational, back and forth. So let's jump right into this, Matt. What was your biggest takeaway from the week of practices, watching what we could on NFL Network, and then from the game on Saturday? Well, one for me was that the game was actually awesome. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a really well-played game, and a lot of times, um, I know you've mentioned this before, but a lot of times you hear from people, once the practices are over, they fly home, they don't stay for the game, and they'll just watch it on TV. And, I mean, I even wonder sometimes if people watch it on TV because it's been not super exciting in the past where it'll be like 16 to 9, and you won't see a lot of great quarterback play. But in this one, I thought there was some pretty good quarterback play, and I was very impressed with the guys who are projected to be like mid-round playmakers, not not even necessarily wide receivers for some of them. Some kind of have multi-positions, but I think this is a good thing. Um, and we talked about this before where I remember you mentioning when we discussed wide receivers about yards after catch and how that's a thing you're looking at very closely. And I was looking at a couple of guys during this game that don't have even traditional receiver bodies, but can break tackles and make plays that 
I didn't really know some of these guys had this in them. I mean, Shai Smith is one of them who had a really great game. Um, Demetric Felton, we talked about a little bit. He scored a touchdown in the game. He was really good. And Amari Rogers was somebody that really stuck out to me. He caught a touchdown and got popped and held onto the ball on a nice little route, went up and got it, showed a little toughness there. And these guys all to me are exactly what some teams need, not in terms of, oh, the next Julio Jones or the next Antonio Brown or something like that, but a Debo Samuel type of guy that goes in the third round and then gets 50 catches for, you know, 12 yards a catch or something like that. Those guys have value golden Tate type of players. I thought there were several of them in this game and it was really fun to watch. Before I give my takeaway, just, I want to speak to your point. There's kind of a new archetype for the Amari Rogers wide receiver that he measured in at five nine two eleven, and it's it's aj brown it's debo samuel these thick wide receivers squatty built like running backs we've heard it for a while but i think aj brown and debo samuel um in that same draft class 2019 really brought up or were the pioneers for this are they a slot receiver? Are they an H-back? Are they a wide receiver? They're not going to separate a, at a crazy rate, but they are, like you said, so good after the catch. And both of them, including Amari Rogers, all three of them are good in those contested catch situations. And Rogers is someone that maybe after a strong week at the senior bowl uh, and a good performance in the game will go a little bit higher than expected, but he was playing behind T Higgins and Justin Ross. And it was all eyes were on Trevor Lawrence. For all those years, he went over a thousand yards this season at Clemson. So he's not someone that's, you know, an undrafted free agent who really can't play and is going to have an outside shot to even make a roster. I think he has what it takes, and he showed apparently during the week of practice um, that he can get open. And in the game underneath intermediate, he's not someone that's going to separate vertically a ton. Uh, but you're right, there is a lot of value if you can draft like technically a starter who is going to be in the slot for you in the fourth or the fifth round, um, and he's going to catch 50, 60 passes, that will boost your passing game. Demetric Felton, 5'8", 5'9", 183. We talked about it on the last podcast that he runs routes like a wide receiver. Like you, you can't tell that he is a running back, and I think that's how he'll be used at the next level. My biggest takeaway, the defensive line was fantastic. And I've been to a few senior bowls. It was sad not to go this year. And I was trying to remember watching the week of practices on NFL Network and then the game, like, is it usually that the defensive line just whoops the offensive line? I'm thinking back, <laughs> like, no, there's there's usually five, six, seven really good offensive linemen. That's not always the case. But I thought just both teams, American and national, had a bunch of defensive linemen. Carlos Basham from Wake Forest, who didn't play in the game, um, but was, I thought, dominant in those one-on-one -on -one drills. He's had first-round buzz for a while. I think he helped himself um, just from three or four practices, and that's what happens every year at the Senior Bowl. Um, Osa Adigazawa from UCLA, his brother was picked uh, a few years ago by the Giants in 2015, I believe, kind of flamed out due to injury. I thought in the game, just – the quick twitch that he showed at that three technique position uh, and then the pass rushing moves as well. Um, he wasn't super productive in college. I do remember liking the film over the summer. I haven't gotten to him yet. I was telling you before, Matt, that at this point, is it still relatively early in the pre-draft process? I like to kind of get through all the positions, like the consensus top five to 10 players at each. Some of them I love, some of them I 
I don't ultimately like as much. And then I try to obviously February, March, April, get to those secondary guys. I think I need to get back to Adigazawa. And I think he did a great or did a lot for his stock because there wasn't a ton of buzz for him. He only aver or he only had uh, 25 pressures on 238 pass rushing snaps this season at UCLA. It's a 10.4% pressure rate. Not crazy high, but then I looked at Christian Barmore's. Christian Barmore's was only 12.7. So mm-hmm. I think o- that I think Odigazawa um, is product or was productive enough on film and then has a strong senior bowl week, pass rushing moves, quickness off the snap. And with how quickly quarterbacks are getting the football out of their hands today, I think there will be an added onus on those really quick interior pass rushers. I don't care if you're 280, if you're 290, mm-hmm. um, get into the lap of the quarterback. Both Pittsburgh defensive linemen, Rashad Weaver, Patrick Jones, I thought played very well in the game. Jonathan Cooper from Ohio State is is kind of a name yeah. that uh, really is not on the radar in the, the first couple of rounds. His burst and his bend around the edge didn't really matter if he was lined up at left defensive end or right defensive end. I saw a lot of potential there for him to be one of those value selections. So just overall, it seemed like you're right. There was good quarterback play, uh, but during the week of practices and then in the game, a lot of these quarterbacks were under pressure and a lot of these offensive linemen were really overwhelmed all week. Oh, definitely. We saw quite a few pressures and sacks. I think there were four or five different guys who had at least four pressures in the game, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. And the offensive linemen were getting whipped. Uh, I also thought um, an interesting week for uh, Levi Onwazerki. He is a guy who opted out. So he's one of those where you go, all right, what's this guy going to show? And his numbers in the past were not eye-popping at Washington, and then all of a sudden he shows up and has a great week. And he was someone that a lot of people had mocked in kind of the third-round type of area. I wonder, because of the lack of defensive tackles who could get after the passer in this draft, if he helped his stock for teams that really need that. And I wanted to also talk about Patrick Jones, who's very interesting to me, because people were talking about, and PFF had a stat on this, that in the practices, he wasn't winning his reps all the time. And then he gets into the game and was great. He was one of the best players on the field all of a sudden. And so I'm interested to see what happens with his draft stock. And there's also some debate, like, is he a 3-4 outside linebacker? Is he a 4-3? Is he, you know, does his body really you know, stand up for a four, three, like Weavers does where Weaver is very good against the run. Um, But I thought Jones in the game, it really helped himself after a week that some people were kind of questioning and then he's doing nothing but making plays out there. Yeah. One point on uh, the Washington defensive lineman, Levi Anwazirke watching his film and you're right. He did opt out. So I I think like I've, I've said 50 times already on this podcast, he's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. But you're also right in that there's not a ton of, blue chip, you know, already penciled into the first round defensive lineman in this draft class and watching him over the summer, his stats weren't eye popping because Washington like played him at the nose at like 285 pounds. And I thought he actually two gapped pretty well. Um, He was kind of like a part-time player in 2018, played more in 2019. It's like they moved him around because they knew that he had that unique body type, but it was almost like watching Ed Oliver at Houston where they just like lined him up on the nose of the center mm. and just like made him two gap a lot. They didn't give him a lot of free rushes. So 
when they did, I think his arms are long enough, he's quick enough, um, and has enough strength in his upper body that we saw during the week of practices that can be a really good player. One other guy that I want to talk about, and I totally agree can with I you guess, on Patrick Jones. Can I guess who you want to Go talk ahead. about? I am going to guess that you want to talk about Ellerson Smith. Uh, Is that not the guy? Not. No, I wanted guy. to talk about Ellerson Smith because I was like, who is Ellerson Smith and why is he making all these plays I know in the he, Senior Bowl? I know he was super productive at Northern Iowa, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't watched him yet, but I he is like I just wrote him into my defensive line like in my uh, Google spreadsheet that I need to watch him because he did have a good week yes. and he was super productive at the small school level. I want to talk about um, what you said about Patrick Jones. I think he's another – kind of a, a tweener is he that stand-up guy mm-hmm. or is he uh you know a, a three down defensive end I think he kind of showed in the game and this is kind of what his film shows that he's like almost like a pass rush specialist like I don't think I want him trying to set the edge I think he's best when he knows he can pin his ears back and this is probably the case for a lot of edge rushers yeah I just think he's really good when he doesn't have to worry about a high percentage chance of there being a run play because his burst off the snap is good. And he has a variety of counter moves can win back to the inside. We saw that on his sack that he had early in the game. It was kind of like a stunt that he created by just rushing to the inside by just crossing over. Um, So I think if you're going to try to say, Hey, let's pick him in the first round and have him play 800 snaps as a rookie, you're probably going to be a little disappointed if, if it is standing up, if it is, uh, just as a specialist on second and long and third and long, that's where I think you can get the best out of Patrick Jones. Cam Sample, defensive lineman from Tulane. You mentioned that PFF had throughout the week of practices that Jones wasn't winning a lot of one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. PFF also had that Cam Sample had the highest win rate of any player in one-on-one drills during the week. And like we talked about in the last episode, like coaches and GMs and scouts – uh, put a lot into these practices. They're all standing there, and, and you hear from Dave Gettleman to Brandon Beans brought up a lot that, you know, they put a lot into it. They mm-hmm. like what they see. They can uh, have players' stocks go up and down just based on a few practices at the Senior Bowl. And Camp Sample, I mean, we're talking about all these unique body types, 6'2", 275, <laughs> with like 32-and-a-half-inch arms. And I think that type of body, as an – guard as a center you're just not going to see very often mm-hmm. and because he's a little bit lower to the ground um even if he is giving up 40 50 pounds on some of these you know bigger squattier interior blockers he can get up and underneath them he's quick enough he was very productive at Tulane finished in the top 10 in quarterback pressures this past year didn't see a ton from him in the game and I did notice that they were playing him like at the one technique like mm-hmm. way inside but I think he's someone – I'm not going to call him the next Michael Bennett, but Michael Bennett was kind of that weird body type where he was like 6'3", 6'4", 270, and you're like, he's not an end, but he was so good as that nickel pass rusher. Um, after seeing just how ridiculous offenses have been in these NFL playoffs, I was kind of thinking like, man, does defensive line even matter anymore? Like these quarterbacks are getting it out so quick. and But it was encouraging to see – how good this defensive line class was and how many unique body types there are. And with a good defensive coordinator, a good head coach, move these players around to get the best out of them because there are some unique body types um, and just guys that have unique skill sets that I think can be maximized in multiple roles at the NFL level.
I guess I, I make a comparison a little bit to wide receivers to now. It's like, can you beat one-on-one coverage? And the same thing is, if you're a defensive lineman, can you beat another defensive lineman one-on-one? Because a lot of these offenses, as you mentioned, they are asking their guards and their tackles and even centers sometimes to one-on-one block, and they're emptying it out. And not every team, yeah. of course, you know, Baltimore, San Francisco, they're not doing this. They've got big personnel in there. But when you look around the league, it's mostly 11 personnel across the board. The teams are running, which, you know, you're sending out tight ends. Everyone's looking for athletic tight ends. So they're saying, and I think this is the reason when you look at PFF grades, all the guards grade like a 70 or below um, because they're being asked to do a lot, I think, without a a lot of help. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a guy who maybe is not the traditional body type or maybe doesn't stuff two gaps in the run game or something, can he still bring you a lot if he can build uh, beat somebody one-on-one? And I think that there's all sorts of rotational rushers off the edge, but how many rotational rushers off the inside? And there's a lot of value there with the inside because it's a lot different when guys are coming off the edge and you could step up in the pocket versus if you have somebody right in your face. And so, I mean, I think that there's like middle round value on saying, you know, maybe this guy isn't like a normal type of you know, traditional you know, three down player, but what can he do in a certain specific role that can affect the other team's passing game? I, that to me is how everybody should be looking. So how will you impact the other team's passing game if you're on defense? Yeah, and if you're picking someone like Levi Anwazirke or Odigazawa in the third or the fourth round, if you get 400, 500 snaps out of him mm-hmm. and he's up there 25 to 40 pressures, like that's fine. Like you just hit a home run with that third or fourth round pick. I think Anwazirke is going to go a little higher than that. Um, he did have a fair amount of buzz because the pressures were actually pretty good. He didn't rush the passer a lot at Washington, like I said, but like when he did, he was pretty productive. Maybe a second round pick, maybe could sneak into the back half of the first, but yeah, it's becoming a niche slash hybrid NFL. And that goes for not just the safety linebackers, not just for the receiver uh, running backs, but also these 270, 280 defensive ends that can rush from the inside, or even if you're 290 or 295 um, at a traditional defensive tackle spot, you can hold up well enough against the run to be on the field and really create some havoc as a pass rusher. I want to jump over to the offensive side quickly. What did you take from just watching the practices and then in the game uh, from Dylan Radins from North Dakota State. I didn't have this in the rundown, so if you don't know your exact take on him, that's fine. I found it interesting that Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl that was a scout in the NFL for years, you know, tweeted out after the week of practices and then after the game, like all these awards, like every year, mm-hmm. the op, like the DBs vote on the best receiver, the defensive linemen vote on the best offensive lineman. Unless I misread the tweet, he tweeted out that Dylan Radins won the overall best player at the week of practices. Uh, he protected Trey Lance's blind side for one season and one game at North Dakota State. I didn't really see it when I watched his film over the summer, um, but it is kind of the reason why I like to watch all players at one position, almost back to back to back to back, because I, it was hard to get a gauge on, okay, I'm watching this North Dakota state guy block these FCS players. I'm like, is he good? Is he not? But apparently 
his peers at the senior bowl thought he was really good. He's certainly that high upside athletic type of player. Mm-hmm. Yep. I didn't think he was fantastic in the game, but is there anything that you took from any of the small school guys, Dylan Radins, Quinn Manhurst, any of those players? Well, I mean, you know, uh, Manhurst is a fun guy. Um, but, you know, when you talk about Radins, what, what's interesting to me is, okay, what are we doing with the body, right? I mean, this – when we talk about defensive players and now oh, maybe this guy's a little taller or a little smaller or whatever, like, okay, you can work with that. Maybe someone is a nickel. Maybe they play in zone. Maybe they rush this way. Maybe they rush that way. Same thing with receivers. You could be six, six, or you could be five, eight. You could be good at playing wide receiver. One thing you can't be at tackle is light. And yep. when I, when I look at him, I, I see a guy who can recover and who's got a smoothness to him and athleticism to him. And I did watch a lot of the, you know, practices and things like that. And I was kind of interested. These North Dakota state guys have followings in Minnesota. Um, And I was just thinking like, okay, this guy looks kind of like to make a Vikings comp, like a Brian O'Neill. Brian O'Neill. Yeah. But the thing that Brian O'Neill had to do was eat. He had to put on weight. He had to get stronger. And you would think the same thing for somebody who goes to North Dakota State. How are you dealing with the bull rush? I don't know that we saw guys – I mean, we saw a lot of good defensive linemen, but we didn't see man strength. You know, so that's that's what I'm interested in. But if you're looking for somebody who might have a higher upside than you'd ever expect, if you get into the second or the third round – this is a great area to look at somebody like this if they had a great week at the super, uh, the Senior Bowl. And it's why the Senior Bowl is awesome, because you get to even the playing field. Hey, you played at Pitt, so you played against good competition. You played at this school. You played at that school. And you played at North Dakota State. Now go up against each other and let's see. So, yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's a big week for, um, you know, those smaller school guys that got their chance to show off. Yeah, and with Dylan Radins, it's funny that you brought up Brian O'Neill because I remember coming on your radio show mm-hmm. after the Vikings drafted Brian O'Neill, and you're just like, "Hey, give me a rundown of the Vikings picks. What do you think?" And I said, "They picked him in the second round, right?" Second round. I said, "You know, that, I thought that was too early because of the weight problem. That like all these rave reviews about his athleticism, and he went to the Senior Bowl, and it was like he's just he's not strong enough. He's not mm-hmm. powerful enough." Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's become a pretty good right tackle because he's added the strength. And I write this repeatedly, and I will say this repeatedly on this podcast over the next few months, that you have to be NFL strong, that there are very few, even first-round pick offensive linemen. I think if you're Mekhi Becton, if you're Tristan Wirfs, that doesn't really apply to you, but that are not NFL strong. They look strong in college, and they can be road graders, and they can have a great anchor but it is a completely different animal. And I think by year two, year three, which again, you're already two years or three years into a cheap rookie deal at that point, you need to see a lot of weight being put on and just strength, lower body, upper body. Mm-hmm. Dylan Radins, that's where I think he kind of, which he'll probably go in the second or third round because the athleticism can't really be taught, but to expect him to come right in uh, and, and be this fantastic rookie, I think he has a ways to go want to jump back over to the defensive side. You and I agree on this one. Uh, I need to go back and watch. I remember, uh, or actually, I need to watch him for the first time. Washington cornerback Keith Taylor. During the game, Daniel Jeremiah, or like I, like I think it was at the end of the game, said this was like the most impressive cornerback film that I've seen at the Senior Bowl, that he played every target in his direction perfectly, 
And like I said before, I have not watched like the deep depths of the cornerback class. And apparently Keith Taylor had a pretty good week in, in one-on-ones, which are not very advantageous for defensive backs. Not at all. And played well in the game. He let up a touchdown on like a slant in the end zone, but there was like a safety and a linebacker in the middle. I think he had outside leverage. Beyond that, he played the football really well down the field, um, broke up a back shoulder toss that turned into an interception. Keith Taylor from Washington really, I mean, there's usually a handful of senior bowl guys that like don't get drafted or get picked late. That's kind of how I viewed him going into this week, just looking at the rosters. I was really impressed, not only during the week of practices, but certainly in the game on Saturday. And I think he's six one and kind of, you know, he's lanky, but he's not super built. And you wouldn't write off, uh, you know, the whole saying of like off the bus, off the bus. You'd be like, yeah, okay, another guy. And I had never heard of him either before the Senior Bowl. Again, one of the reasons that it's one of the most fun events to watch throughout the week is you go like. Who's this Cooper it's the kickoff Cup? Of, yeah. yeah, you know, right? Yeah. I mean, you just like who? Who are some of these guys? And then, uh, you know, eventually we've seen quite a few of them become quality players who showed off in this game. But I mean, he was running with people down the sideline, where like just turning his hips the right way, and then tracking wide receivers, and then getting his hand back to make the play on the ball. And I and I go to you know the college reference, like who is this guy? Whatever, zero interceptions in college. Like okay, what happened here? You know, like what? Like yeah. this guy has played a couple of footballs his way super well. And as you mentioned, if Daniel Jeremiah is saying that, then it has instant credibility, and that will boost his draft stock. But I'm just uh, very impressed uh, by the way that he played some very good wide receivers. I did think that the defensive linemen and the corners got a little help from some of the quarterbacks. Um, our guy, Jamie Newman, I don't know if you, you were done talking about Taylor, if you want to talk about quarterbacks at all, but I mean, uh, Jamie Newman did not have a real great time out there. He did lead one drive that looked pretty good, but it was just a little like hesitation. Rusty. Yeah. Rusty is the right word. And so he makes that throw. It's just a little bit behind the ball placement's not right. And then Taylor comes in and makes a great play and someone else picks it off. and gets to celebrate. It's like, wait a minute. Taylor's the one that made that play. So anyway, um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it was fun to see him just, you know, kind of explode onto the scene. Well, yeah, let's talk about the quarterbacks for a second. Uh, Mac Jones apparently had a fantastic week of practices, didn't play in the game. Uh, there were just during the week of practices, what NFL Network showed, a lot of the same things that we saw at Alabama. And for as much as I say every year that, the Senior Bowl is not conducive to success for cornerbacks. I think it's actually, if you're a relatively competent and, and confident quarterback, it's pretty advantageous during the week of practices. You're throwing to receivers in one-on-one drills where they can run anywhere over the field. They can make 17 breaks in their route. Um, so I, I don't think that for me, it's going to really change at all how I feel about Mac Jones because he's standing back there. There's no pass rush. There's no need for him to improvise. But I wrote this for CBS Sports uh, today, or actually yesterday, that I think he's going to now be locked into the first round. Like there yeah. was so much buzz about like how good he was, how precise anticipation throws. He was the best quarterback at the senior bowl. Uh, but again, I, I have a little buyer beware sticker on Mac Jones because throwing against air with a completely clean pocket, that's where he's going to thrive. Arm strength and improvisation just aren't there for him for me. 
So what they should do is someone should draft him in the first round, go to the Super Bowl, lose, and then trade him for another quarterback along with two first-round picks. Are you catching the comparison I'm making with Mac Jones to Jared Goff? Um, you know, I've, I, I do feel like there are limited ceilings, and I agree on guys that don't have the arm strength or athleticism. Um, but there are certain teams, though, I would say, that if you can already drop him into a great situation where your team is stacked and your O-line is stacked, like the Rams were rebuilding for a while before Jared Goff really had to play and then he gets McVay, you can, I think, make it work. So I, I wouldn't put Mac Jones you know, as someone who couldn't ever be successful doing this. But I totally agree with you that anybody who goes to the senior bowl and watches a quarterback and gets convinced, like that's the sucker at the table. Ryan Finley will tell you that. I remember watching Ryan Finley and being like, man, who is this guy? He's like just operating that offense, like to a T hitting that, you know, his drops, drop back five steps, make it accurate. Ryan Finley can't play in the NFL. And so like, that's, you're right about a favorable situation. Now with that said though, Kellen Mond, I thought in the game showed a little baller that I was like, Oh, okay. Kellen Mond. I mean, he threw some like laser passes, but the most impressive one to me was the two point conversion where there was immediate pressure and he stayed cool and he just dropped a dime. I think maybe it was to Rogers or whoever it was mm-hmm. in the back. It, was, it Rogers, was Rogers. Yeah. yeah. In the back of the end zone. And it, w- it was a legit dime. It's like, Oh, okay. That's with the pocket breaking down a little bit of chaos. And he made a play. And there were other times as most college quarterbacks where you went, what you doing there guy. Um, but I thought he was the one that probably had the, the, the biggest win, I think for his draft stock, uh, at the senior bowl. Yeah. Kellen Mond has been early on, like my favorite, like whatever you want to call it, third or fourth tier mid round quarterback. Um, when I've been doing radio spots and I get asked that, I'm like Kellen Mond because he checks a lot of maybe more traditional boxes for me that I've kind of evolved away from, but he was like a four-year starter at Texas A&M. He got the the classic pro-style offense from Jimbo Fisher that's not really in vogue anymore, um, but he had to read the entire field, and he started as a dual-threat recruit. Like He was one of the, the top dual-threat quarterbacks, and I remember watching him his first couple years at Texas A&M. It was like, this guy looks at his first read in the flat and then runs. Like he is not a pocket passer whatsoever. And he became a pocket passer. So, you know, the athleticism is there. Um, I think he has a decent arm. He's someone that I think is like a very safe backup Yeah. that if you get him for two or three games, he can maybe win you one or two of those. If the situation is good. One other thing I want to say on Mac Jones, and I do want to dedicate an entire episode to this idea that we're always talking about how the league is trending and quarterbacks that can improvise these hybrid players, big arm quarterbacks that can really make crazy plays outside the pocket, all these different positions. I want to dedicate an episode on trying to stay ahead of the curve of even that. Like, is there a market inefficiency where like everyone else is looking for these Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson types where someone like Mac Jones might actually be able to work out. And that's me going against just my own evaluation of Mac Jones that we're always chasing like what is in trend from that, from that given NFL season 
or the the past few NFL seasons. And then like something like Josh Allen going number seven overall and him working out Patrick Mahomes when the chiefs picked him in 2017, it was like, wow, that is super risky. This guy is might boom, but probably going to bust. And it was even more so with Josh Allen. Is there any way that Mac Jones, and I think you kind of said that there is, and I agree with you, like we need to look ahead and try to stay a step ahead and say, could there be this limited arm quarterback that just throws with good anticipation um, and is very accurate? Can that player win in today's NFL? And not just for quarterback, for every position. Is there, you know, could a big rebounding wide receiver, could that start to come back in vogue? Like it's something I won't get into a ton, but I think we should talk about that because I think the team that ultimately picks Mac Jones in the first round will either in their press conference or whatever will afterwards say like, Hey, like we love these kind of old school things that Mac Jones Mm -hmm. does really well. Oh yeah. No. And the thing about Mac Jones is he will definitely have teams that are into that. I I think Um, just Mm -hmm. like Josh Allen would always have teams that were into, you can throw it over them mountains. If we're thinking about (laughs) going forward, like what a team, what are teams not usually into? And I think that there's one is short quarterbacks and who's the last fourth round guy who became a star in the NFL, Dak Prescott. And there's somebody who was short, kind of stocky. His throwing motion wasn't perfect, but his run game became really effective and he was actually a better passer than people gave him credit for. And the other thing I would say too, and I mean, I, I, I know this is like a weird thing to say, but like black quarterbacks who are pocket quarterbacks, because I think they're easy to miss from some of these teams who have a certain perception of what black quarterbacks do. And I mean, think about this. How many black quarterbacks play in like a a Shanahan rollout bootleg system? I think the answer is none. And so if you had a guy who was a perfect fit for that, and maybe he's sort of being overlooked by the NFL, there's your third round quarterback. And because they usually kind of want to put those guys into shotgun type of systems. We see that with, I think uh, every black quarterback in the NFL. So I, I think there's always edges to kind of look for. Same thing with like short receivers or guys who profile as, as tweeners, as defensive linemen. Like give me a tweener and I'll just move them everywhere depending on the situation. So I, I do think there's a lot of edges to be had still. Yeah, I think that's a good place to finish for this episode, talking about Mac Jones. It'll be interesting to see like if that becomes the consensus, like – he will be the fourth quarterback off the board or the fifth quarterback off the board in round one. We've talked about it before. It's, it is a really good quarterback class. You have the top three. And then where does Trey Lance go? Does Mac Jones go ahead of Trey Lance? Cause he's just not going to out of sight, out of mind. He's not at the senior bowl. The combine's not really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that he'll still get his pro day and it's going to be fascinating watching all these pro days unfold. Cause that's where we're going to get probably some inflated numbers from a lot of these prospects over the next couple months. All right. That'll do it for us today. Um, remember to subscribe rate and review the last review we got, I think is like early January. We need some more reviews on this podcast and be sure to check out Matt's daily Vikings podcast, purple insider, also a part of the blue wire network. For Chris Trapasso and Matthew Collar, thank you for listening.